Wonderful to be with you this chilly winter day. I uh, think on days like this, it could be 108. So let's just appreciate these, these times of the rhythms of the season. Howdy, AFC. Welcome back. Woo! Wonderful to be with you guys, although not all of them are back. You know, we have folks that are traveling. Uh, we have some AFC folks that are either around the state or literally around the world. Uh, we have some of our high school folks that are literally coming back right now from Winterfest. I love how this church is always sending and going. It's not just our students, by the way. Those of all ages here are living day in and day out on mission for God. Just thought I'd tell you real quick, just a, a cool little gem. First of all, our sweet Betty Perkins turned 91 yesterday. Can we praise God for that? Now you got to hear this. We never stop living out. That's part of our mission here, vision here, living out the story of God. We never stop that. Miss Betty was at a basketball, high school basketball game the other day. Buzz Williams' daughter, I think, was son was, was uh, on, on, the opposing, uh, the, on the opposing team, I think. She saw Buzz down there. Now listen, she felt like the Lord put on her heart to go down and say something to Buzz. Now how often people go up and like ask for an autograph, I don't know, something like that. She came up to Buzz and said, I just want you to know, God put it on my heart to let you know how much I appreciate you because you're a Christian and you pray over your players. Grab the phone, got somebody that works for her or whatever to get her three tickets. She went to the Kentucky game last night. He told her to come two hours early. She not only made it on the big screen, I understand made it on the broadcast, but hear, hear this. He asked her to come to the locker room and pray over our players. How cool is that? How cool is that? Thank you for modeling living out the mission of God. So whether it's all over the world with AFC students or coming back from Fort Worth or our senior saints modeling for us what it looks like. Isn't that beautiful? Love being a part of this church. We're starting out in the new year. I just want to explore a little bit beginning this week, but really leaning into it more next week, just asking this question, what does it look like to live with wisdom in the upcoming year? How do we pay attention to the voices of wisdom in, in our life that God is giving to us? And, and the major focus, we're really going to start this next week, we're going to look at one book in the Old Testament that gives us some pretty fresh perspectives on wisdom. It's a book called Ecclesiastes. It gets a bad rap sometimes for being cynical. I think there's more joy in the book, actually, than we think. So we're going to have some fun looking at this book. But before we get to that particular book, I want to, to look at the larger section that it fi we find the book of Ecclesiastes in. We know this, but here's a quick reminder, okay? When we come to this, we can get fooled into thinking because it's all collected in one that this is a book, right? Our sacred scriptures that we call the Bible, we think about it as a book, but it's not a book. We know this. It's 66 books. The Bible is not a book, it is a library of books. And like other libraries, there are collections within the library that belong together. Does that make sense? And we're going to study, starting next week, the book of Ecclesiastes, but the book of Ecclesiastes finds itself in the library of Scripture in a larger collection known as wisdom literature. There are different books that all, all of Scripture gives us the wisdom of God, but they really focus on this idea of wisdom and skill for living life and guidance to live life well. We find in it books like the book of Proverbs and Job and Song of Songs and, yes, Ecclesiastes. 
And so what I want to do today is I want to look at how God speaks to us in the collection of wisdom literature that will help us to read the book of Ecclesiastes better. And we're going to do that by the beginning, not of Ecclesiastes, but the beginning of the book of Proverbs. So we're going to read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn with me there. And if you would please stand out of respect for God. Simple practice that we do that, that says we are grateful that God reveals the Lord's purpose and heart and ways to us in Scripture. And you'll see the words that we say uh, in response after we read. This is the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think it's helpful as we lead into the study of this section of Scripture, but really as we lead into a new year, to start by changing focus just a little bit, expanding the lens that we look at life through sometimes. Here's a way to think about it. I I go back to my middle school years and beginning of high school And I think of my friend Tim. I suspect all of you had someone in your classes like my friend Tim. Actually, after I told this in first service, one of my good friends from here came up and said, I was Tim. (laughs) Tim Tim is the guy that was brilliant, but he was always the instigator. He was the clown. He was the one that was uh, creating fun, sometimes at others' expense, not in a horrible way. But here's the thing. He was smart enough not have not to have to work very hard to do well in school. Make sense? He, he, he didn't have to work hard at all, which meant he had a lot of time to horse around and clout around and instigate stuff. And this is what he was doing often. He was the one uh, that would be, again, he was never doing anything terrible. It was never wrong. It was never illegal. He was not doing drugs. It wasn't doing crazy things like that. But he was instigating stuff. He was the one that would come up with the great prank or the practical joke to do the teacher or to one of the students in class. He was the one that started the, kind of the conversations or the jokes or the funny stories in the back of class when we were supposed to be doing physics or something like that. And the only problem was there were certain kind of, oh, I don't know, gullible and influenced people like, I don't know, me and others that would follow Tim's lead. Not his fault, but ours. And here's the thing. Tim was a master at knowing when to start stuff and a master at knowing when to shut up. So he is the guy that would start things, but he never got in trouble for it. We're the ones that got caught. You know somebody like Tim? Again, Wyman Poe. I'm going to put you on the spot. Wyman said, I was that guy. <laughs> it's almost like if you've ever seen the football game, the first person who takes the swing is not the one who gets the penalty. It's the one who retaliates. That's kind of what Tim was like. Again, he was not doing anything wrong. He was not doing anything evil. Now, here's the thing. 
the focus that Tim seemed to have in those of us that followed him, the focus he had when he came into school was what can I get away with? Not, not what's evil or bad, but, you know, I can find out what's right and wrong. I find out where the line is and what can I get away with? Now, the reason I tell that story is because I'm reflecting as we're going into this new year and this section of Scripture, thinking about how often in religion, human beings get the wrong focus. It's not quite Tim's question, what can I get away with? It, it, we might put it this way. We get fixated on the question of what is right and what is wrong. That's not all bad, by the way. Also, let me clarify this too. When I talk about religion, I want to be really clear. I've said this before, I'll say again. Christianity is not a religion. That may seem surprising to some people. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to offer us and model for us a way of life. And there's a world of difference. The problem is, from the very beginning, even followers of Jesus, as well as other religions, turned it into a religion that's all about rules, right and wrong, do's and don'ts. I remember growing up and seeing in the library some do's and don'ts for the Christian. And I grew up thinking that's what it was all about. What do you do? What do you not do? By the way, I want to be clear. Right and wrong matter. Especially in today's world where people are discarding the idea of right and wrong. It's not a bad focus to say there are certain things that are right and things that are wrong. In fact, if we try to get rid of that, we're missing out on the truth that we are creatures of a creator. And life always works better when we follow the direction and the lead of the one who designed us and created us. Right and wrong matter. It's not the problem of asking what's right and what's wrong. The problem is that's too limited a focus. And if we get fixated on right and wrong and rules and do's and don'ts, we miss out on the larger, more profound and powerful movement of Scripture. I think what we find when we come here to this passage in the book of Proverbs, but really when we come to the whole collection of wisdom literature, and honestly, the Bible itself, the Bible is calling us to get a more panoramic view and focus for the question that drives our lives and the question that would begin our year. So can I suggest a different one that comes out of Scripture? Instead of asking just what is right and what is wrong, what is permissible, what's okay, here's a great question to think about as we get through and begin a new year. What is wise? Do you feel the difference? What is wise? Something could be right or something could be okay, something could be permissible, but it might not be the wisest, most beneficial, life-giving approach and things to do. You know, the New Testament says this as well. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about this. And he's talking to a church that's struggling. We don't have this struggle, but we have others. They were struggling with what kind of food do you eat? Food sacrificed to idols. Could you eat it or not? And Paul says, there is a right and wrong about this. Meat's meat. You can eat whatever you want. But he said, that's not the question, whether it's right or wrong. He asked this question. He does it in slightly different ways ways. Let me read this. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23. This is what he says, quoting them. You say, I have the right to do anything. It's okay to do that. But he said, that's not the right question. He said, you may have the right, but not everything is, listen to this word, beneficial. You have the right to do anything, you say, Paul says, but not everything is constructive. No, you should seek not only your own good, but the good of others. Do you hear the different language? For the same question. 
The Bible invites us to go bigger than just, is it okay? Am I crossing a line? Is it right or wrong? The Bible is calling us to walk in the Lord's wisdom. Is it wise? Is it beneficial? Is it constructive for building up a life? Does it contribute to the good of other people? Do you see how that different? Do you see how that question is richer and broader and a bigger focus for all of us? See, what I want to do as we go into the book of Ecclesiastes is I want to pursue, really chase after, we'll use that language, the wisdom of God. And no, this isn't our graphic yet, Lori, you're going to make one for us, but I want us to think about as we're going into the book of Ecclesiastes, what we're doing is we're pursuing not just what's right and wrong, but what is wise for our lives. And remember, again, the book of Ecclesiastes fits into this larger picture of Proverbs and Job and Song of Songs and all of those things of wisdom literature. And here's the great thing about our God. He doesn't just kind of throw us into the world and say, go figure it out. God gives us wisdom and instruction and direction. So what I want to do for the rest of the day is I want to use this passage as a launching point. We'll look at some other examples from wisdom literature as well. But I want to say, God, how is it that you give your wisdom to us in this collection of books called wisdom literature? Because if we learn how you give guidance and wisdom there, we will learn more about how you give guidance and wisdom for our everyday lives. Does that make sense? So we come to this passage and we think about this and the whole section. And what I love about the way the Lord leads us in this place is he, he, he doesn't just kind of give us, and, and by the way, it's easy for us, especially to read the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, like it's bumper stickers and little cliche wisdom. Listen, the Bible doesn't speak to us in superficial ways. Instead, what the Bible, especially wisdom literature does, is it gives wisdom to us in creative tension. Creative tension. What do I mean by that? Think about this. God will give us a perspective and a voice here, and then he'll give another perspective and a voice here. And sometimes they feel like they're in conflict. They're not, but they're in tension. And that tension helps us see a bigger picture of God, of ourselves, and the world. Here's a way to think about it. You can go back and kind of compare the beginning, do a little presidential history, and compare the beginning of the administration of the Kennedy administration with the beginning of the administration of the Lincoln administration. How did they put their cabinets together? Their most trusted advisors. What you find out is that John Kennedy put together a group of people that at least in the beginning, they weren't willing to push back and provide any creative tension to him. There was really one voice that was dominated in the room, and that was him. And maybe you've heard about this when you read in history, or some of you remember this. There was, a, there was a whole fiasco at the beginning of his administration in foreign affairs called the Bay of Pigs. And he inherited from the previous administration an idea to go down and invade Cuba. And as we look back, it was a horrible idea. It was doomed to failure, and it did. It was horrible. And here's the crazy thing. A lot of the people in his cabinet knew it was a bad idea. And those who studied, and I remember studying this in political science class, they called it groupthink. There was a group of people in the room, they thought differently, but no one had enough creative tension in the room to push back to the strongest voice in the room. Now contrast that to the Lincoln administration. You know what Lincoln was brilliant at? You can find this book if you love history. There's a book, it's kind of thick, called A Team of Rivals. Right? It's a brilliant book. And it's talked about how President Lincoln chose to put together on his cabinet all of his opponents who ran against him and opposed him in his run for the presidency. 
there are people that had different views, different ideas, not just from him, but from each other. And he put them all in the same cabinet. And he did that because he said, all of you have one thing in common. You love this country. And together, your different voices and tension will hold this country together at a fragmented time. And it did. And to this day, he's recognized as one of the greatest presidents who ever served this country. Did you realize when we come to wisdom literature, and it's true for all of the Bible, God in the Lord's wisdom gives us his revelation in creative tension. It will say things in one place that even pushes against things in the other place, not to contradict, but to expand our view. Let me give you a few examples. Some of the passages I have, some I don't, so these are not, first ones are not up here. Let me give you an example of this creative tension. Book of Proverbs chapter 4 says this, what's the perspective of wisdom literature on wisdom itself? This is what Proverbs 4 says, get wisdom, though it cost you all you have, get wisdom and get understanding. Pretty positive view of wisdom. Does that make sense? Now go ask the teachers, they, the, the author of Ecclesiastes is called, the teacher of Ecclesiastes. This is what Ecclesiastes says. Chapter 1, verse 12. I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, and this was the chasing of the, after the wind. Hold on. One, one passage in Scripture says get wisdom even if it was cost you everything. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I tried to go get wisdom, and it was like chasing the wind. Now, which one is right? The answer is both of them. And there's something about the creative tension between these two that helps us see a bigger picture of the Lord's revelation that we would see if we looked at either one individually. Here's another example in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Go read that sometime and you can skim through that chapter and what you'll find there is a list of blessings for those who follow the commands of God. It says in Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, those who follow my commands and ways will be blessed. And it's a big long list of blessings. Let me give you a summary. Three major things. If you follow the ways and the commands of the Lord, you will be blessed with crops, kids, and health. Do you get that? Crops, kids, and health. You will be blessed with agriculture, you will be blessed with children, and you will be blessed with physical health. Now, go ask the writer of the book of Job what they think about that. Job chapter 2, the Lord himself says, Here is my servant Job, who is blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and then what proceeds to happen right after that? Job loses what? Crops and kids and health. What in the world is going on? Now, which one's right? The answer is they both are. And they're painting pictures and giving perspectives from different angles of view. And only when we put them together and hold them in creative tension do we see a larger revelation of God. Isn't that powerful? Love the way one writer puts it. When he said, Proverbs seems to say, here are the rules for life. Try them and see if they will work. Then Job and Ecclesiastes say, we did, and they don't. <laughs> now, that's not literally true, but it's saying there is a creative tension even between some of the books of the Bible. And it's not that they contradict each other, it's that they amplify each other if you hold them together and let them go in conversation. Isn't that powerful? Then I came across these two verses, and we will show these to you. And, and when I saw them, I thought, okay, this is what the Lord's doing with this. So here's a way to think about it. Have you ever encountered someone uh, that the Bible calls a fool? Fool isn't stupid or silly. It's someone that won't listen to wisdom or guidance instruction. That's different than the simple. 
The simple in chapter 1 are people that are naive, but they're willing and they're instructable. Fools just do stupid, crazy things, rebellious things. So if a fool comes up and starts telling you stuff or saying stuff and influencing you or the room, do you answer them or do you not? Do you speak to them or not? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Put the first verse up there. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Somebody's crazy, somebody's saying a bunch of stuff. Don't get sucked into their foolishness. That makes sense, right? So that's what I do. If a foolish person is talking, I don't do a thing, right? I don't answer them. Is that right? Is that the word of the Lord? What does the next verse say? Put the next verse up. Answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Back to back. What do you do with that? Now, some people say, well, the Bible's hopelessly contradictory. No, the Bible is rich. And the Bible is complex enough to deal with the complexities and diversity of human life. Which one is right? The answer is both, but it depends. Sometimes, is it not true? That there are times when someone is spouting foolishness and craziness, and we have to say something or else it contaminates the whole environment. And isn't it also true that sometimes people are saying and, and, and launching into crazy stuff and we need to not get into it because we don't want to get sucked in. Isn't it true that both are? So what does that mean? When we come to these tension points in Scripture, you don't just cast them off or you don't just you know, superficially harmonize them. What you do is you say, it takes the same Spirit of God who inspired the writing of it in creative tension to help us discern when and how to apply it. Isn't that great? In other words, it actually takes wisdom to discern how we apply the wisdom the Lord gives us. And I love that there are a whole section of books in the Bible that say the world is a little more complex than a bumper sticker or a cliche. That's why we don't just rush in the book of Ecclesiastes to chapter 12, verse 13. Fear the Lord and keep his commands and everything's great. We don't just stop with verse 7 here. Fear the Lord. And Yes, we begin and end with all for the Lord. And what we'll find is that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, it's hard. And we're going to wrestle. And we're going to ask difficult questions. And it's going to be mysterious at times, too. And which one's true? All of it. Isn't that beautiful? God gives the Lord's revelation to us in creative tension. A little quicker on the second thing I want to see here. What you'll notice is, and I want you to pay attention, notice where it is that wisdom looks to find God. Where is it that wisdom is seeking to find God show up in the revelation of the power and the wonder of God? Where is that? Where does it happen? Well, here's the thing. What's interesting when you come to wisdom literature is where you don't find it. If we were living in, you know, kind of just in the culture around us and somebody talked about where do you want to go find God, they, we might say, well, Come to church with us. Come to a Bible study. Come to a worship service. Do you know when you come to wisdom literature, there's almost no prayers. There's some, but very little. There's no worship services, very little. There's very little conversation about the temple or the tabernacle or anything like that. It says we're going to look for God to show up in different places than the religious activities and the religious language that we're surrounded by. Now, if you go to the book of Exodus, you're going to be surrounded by words of the tabernacle and description of the temple. If you go to the book of Psalms, you're going to have prayers all over the place, references, tabernacle, temple, all of that. When you come to wisdom or literature, they don't talk about the Exodus very much. They don't talk about the great activity of God. 
Prophets will do it. First five books of the Old Testament. Literally is all about that. They're saying, we're going to look for God in different places than we normally look for the Lord. Where is that? Well, here's one of the things that we consistently see in wisdom literature. We've talked about this before, so we won't belabor a lot of time on it. Where do you see the Lord showing up in wisdom literature again and again? It show, God shows up in creation. You're going to see God showing up in the created order. You're going to see God showing up in the ways that God speaks to us in creation and in nature. And part of creation is you and me. Right? You see this all over the place. I'll give you some examples Proverbs chapter 6 says this. Maybe you've heard this before. Consider the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> the ant who is working right now, or before now, before the winter time comes to get things ready so that the ant doesn't get up and all of a sudden realize, wow, I didn't do anything. It's probably good wisdom for the beginning of a new year. Right? And, and Proverbs says, I'm not, I'm not going to see that in church. I'm going to see that in nature. Isn't that powerful? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll see, we'll talk about the rhythms of the seasons and the sun rising and setting and all of that and step into the rhythms of life in that way. By the way, the New Testament does the very same thing. Jesus himself does the very same thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers, he said. Look at the birds. We've got a few here that do that quite a bit, right? Look at the birds. You can learn something, Jesus says, from the way God loves you by the way God reveals the Lord's self in nature. And so isn't that powerful? By the way, this isn't random. Why is it that wisdom literature isn't talking about temple and isn't talking about the prayers and isn't reading a bunch of scripture before that like the prophets and others do? Well, like we read here in the passage, wisdom literature is launched by Solomon and his wisdom but that's not when it was finally collected. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit works through time, not just in the moment of the original authors of things. Do you know when wisdom literature, by all scholars' account, actually came all together? It came together in the time known as the exile. In the exile and right after that. In other words, in the time where there wasn't a temple and they didn't have the Torah that could stand up and read. And isn't this wonderful? Because God will do it in your life too. When somebody shuts off your access to God, revealing the Lord's self in one way, the Lord will open it up in another way. So God says, you might not be able to go to church. You might not be able to go to the temple. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak to you through ants and through flowers and through economics and through human situations and human relationships. And you see that throughout wisdom literature. Isn't it awesome? In other words, there's an invitation for us as we go into 2024. Yes, let's come here and hear Scripture and do worship, but let's go as we out, leave these doors and recognize you can see the power and the wisdom of God at a basketball game. You can see the Lord showing up outside in creation and nature in all sorts of ways. In your classes, you'll see the Lord show up in ways you never thought possible. Isn't that beautiful? Notice where wisdom literature looks for God. It's not always in the churchy places. It's in the everyday moments of life. And lastly, I want you to notice in particular here what I call the avenue of communication. Notice how it is the Lord chooses to reveal God's wisdom to people. Now, there are lots of different ways in wisdom literature, but there's one common place that comes up again and again and again. Let's learn something from it. I do have these passages. I want to put up three one-sentence passages. As I read them, as you look at them, ask yourself this question. What do they all have in common? They're all very different in some ways, but they all have something in common. So let's look at this. First, put Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. We'll read this next week. 
Here's a question the book opens with. It's a good question for the beginning of the year. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? That's a great question. You get up every day, you go to school, you go to work, you just grind through the stuff. What do you get? What's left over at the end of life? What do you gain from that? What's the purpose for our lives? What's the meaning for our lives? What drives you when you get up in the morning? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Ecclesiastes. Probes that a little bit. Let's look at a little different book in wisdom literature. Job, chapter 14, the first part of verse 14. Job is wrestling with this, and maybe you can understand why, because people in his lives, life had died. He is on the brink of physical death himself, and so he asks this question. If someone dies, will they live again? By the way, don't blow that off. Of course, we know the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't have that yet. If you read the Old Testament, it is a progressive revelation. They don't know the answer to this question yet. In fact, if you keep reading in Job 14, it seems like his answer is no. We're dead like we're dead all over. He doesn't know. God has to come and give us a fuller revelation of that. But that's an important question to struggle with, is it not? What do you do with the fact that this life has a limit to it and an end to it? Reminded of a story one writer talked about when he went for the first time to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., if you've ever been there, if you've ever seen it. Polished black stone. It's a simple memorial. Polished black stone with the names of those who died on. That's it. And he said he was standing there, and he was reading the names on a sunny day, and he could see, all of a sudden, he noticed the names he was reading, but he saw his reflection on the black stone as well. And it hit him. What a beautiful line. Sobering line. He said, I realized as I read those names, but I saw my face on it, that I too have been dying as long as I've been living. What do you do with that? If a person dies, will they live again? It's a powerful question that's asked in wisdom literature. Or one more, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, right after this one. This is a great one. How long will simple ones love their simple way? How long will the naive and the influence, all, uh, the people who are just not, not really the gullible folks, how long will simple ones love their simple ways before waking up to it? How long will we continue, for example, to actually believe that money will make us happy? Or making our own decisions, being the own authority for our lives, doing exactly what we think we want will make us happy. How long will simple ones love their simple ways? powerful here. And I want you again, look back. Notice the avenue of communication in all of these. What do these three passages have in common? Did anybody catch it? They are all questions. All of them are questions. In fact, what you'll notice when you read wisdom literature and we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, it is full of questions. And I remember when I first started studying this whole section of the Bible, something just hit me. It seems like a simple point, but it's really powerful. As we lead into the new year. Here's the thing. I I remember this passage in the New Testament, 2 2 Timothy 3, where Paul says, All Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. We got that? All Scripture is inspired. Then I come to wisdom literature, and wisdom literature is full of questions. And you put those together, and here's what hit me. Seems simple, but it's really profound. Did you realize that the Bible? inspired. God inspired not just answers, but questions. You ever thought about that? God inspired questions and not just answers. I grew up thinking you come to the Bible 
Because it's the answer book for everything. Well, there are answers in it, but there are also really important questions. And for some of us, the most important thing we can get in the beginning of the new year, or maybe out of a study of wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, is not an answer. The most important thing you might get is actually an important question. Because asking the right question can change everything. Think about it for a moment. Think of how many things in our lives were transformed by the right question. Think about science. How often the world changed when somebody said, I wonder what would happen if we do this. <laughs> I wonder what would, what would happen, what we would see if we look here. We know it's true in human relationships too. Entire lives are transformed in the asking of a good question. Somebody after church says, hey, would you like to go to lunch? Somebody comes up and says, hey, can I tell you something and share something with the coach that's on my heart? Whole relationships can change. I think about some years ago now, I was sitting down with a group of friends, my freshman year of college, and this beautiful young lady sitting across from me asked me, would you like some of my fried cheese appetizer? By sharing food with that incredible woman ever since. All sorts of things can change. Lives can be transformed by the asking of good questions. So when we come to Ecclesiastes, don't come expecting everything to be tied up in a nice neat bow and we walk away with the answers to everything. Ecclesiastes often raises the right questions that drive us to Jesus to respond. And that's what we're going to do. So it all comes down to this. I think the perhaps the most important verse in this passage is verse 5. What does it say? Let the wise listen. Listen. That's what I want to do this semester. I want to come to the wisdom literature of God and just, Lord, open our hearts to listen. Because here's the thing. God longs to give us skill in living life well if we will pay attention and listen. I'll say this too. I mentioned it on Wednesday night again. You've heard me say this a lot. When it comes to the idea of truth, and I've said before, truth isn't a list of doctrines. Truth is a person. Remember that? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Did you know the same thing is true for wisdom? Wisdom isn't just a list of great sayings and information and insights. Did you know that wisdom is a person? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you know, Jewish people are looking all the time for power, and Greek people are looking all the time for wisdom. But he said, what I'm going to give you is Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, you find the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom is not an idea, it's a person. So even as we're studying Ecclesiastes, and it doesn't mention his name, he's on every word and letter of the book, because the wisdom of God is a person ultimately who will ask the right questions, and yes, sometimes give us the answers. And what I want to encourage us to do, especially because Ecclesiastes can be a little weird, look for the wisdom of God to show up in unlikely places and unlikely ways. I remember I'd been working as a chaplain for the sheriff's office. I've mentioned that work that I've done in the past. That's not me, by the way. It's just a picture. But I worked as a chaplain, and I remember one of the first times I was invited to go into the jail. Now, most, I've told you before, most of my work as a chaplain was serving the officers and the deputies themselves, and we empowered people to go into the jail. But, you know, we would respond to any request that we had for the most part. And I remember one day, early on, I just started working, and I got a call from a young lady who said, would you please go visit my brother 
He just got arrested. He's done some foolish things. But for the first time in his life, she said, he's seeking God. He just got a Bible, and he doesn't even know where to start. And, and, and I just wonder if you would go and just visit him and just have a conversation. I remember pulling up into the parking lot, and I was there, and I was beginning to pray. And I was doing what I do. I like to prepare for stuff. And I'm thinking about, what, what am I going to share with this guy about how to start out reading Scripture and doing all this? And I'm not going to preach to him or whatever, but I'm thinking. I'm thinking through all the stuff he's saying. And I got this sense from the Lord as if he was saying, you don't have to script this out. You don't have to figure this out. Just show up. Just show up and trust me. That's kind of the sense I got from the Lord. Now, the only thing I let myself think about a little bit, because I've had these conversations before, is if somebody just comes up and says, I just want to start reading the Bible. I don't know where to start. It's certainly not a cover-to-cover thing. That's not the way it's designed. So where would you start? And this is you. Excuse me, usually what I say, and I thought about it for about two seconds, I thought, usually what I'll say is pick a gospel and start with Jesus. Get to know Jesus and go find this little place called the book of Psalms and it'll teach you to pray. Just get to know Jesus a little bit and then practice just, you know, the parts that don't make sense, ignore it, but just kind of pray through the Psalms. That just popped in my head for a second, that was it. So I go in, I sit down, I have this conversation with the guy, he tells me his story, tells me what's going on, and then we get to the point where I said, so I, I heard you got a Bible. I said, have you... He tried picking it up and reading it some. He said, yeah. He said, I kind of got a sense. Here's what I want to do. He said, I started reading Matthew, and I'm reading the Psalms. <laughs> Great. Like, all right, Lord, you don't, you don't need me. He's reading Jesus, and he's learning to pray through the Psalms. Then he goes on to tell me about a dream that he had. And he said, I picture in this place, I've got two choices to make. He said, it's like the enemy, the evil is all around me. But he said, I have a sense that my sister and a pastor was praying for me. And a sister and a pastor was praying for me. And that the Lord was pulling me out of, this, of that part of evil. And he was sending me into a calling for my life. And I walked out of that jail saying, oh my gosh, the wisdom of God. Jesus is in unlikely places, in unlikely ways showing up. The Lord was already there in dreams and guidance. He didn't mean to say a thing. He just had to show up. Look for him. In 2024, the wisdom of God is a person. And the Lord will show up. Unlikely places, unlikely ways. Father God, we we thank you for speaking to us in a diversity of rich voices, wrestling with us, inviting us into the conversation to know you more deeply. We thank you for inspiring books like the book of Ecclesiastes that lead us to joy and sometimes have us scratching our heads. Thank you that you let us know that it's okay for life not to be simple and easy sometimes. And we ask you to, to walk with us as we explore this, but empower us to live and Father God, open our eyes to see your son Jesus in all the places you choose to reveal him to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?